Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, well, welcome to the OCR Underground Show. I am Mike Diebler, and welcome to episode 48. As always, we have an incredible show for you. We are going to help you not just train harder for your next race, but make sure you're training smarter to keep you outperforming your last race and making sure you stay injury-free. If you want to check out any of the links mentioned in this episode, make sure you check out the show notes at www.ocrunderground.com episode 48. Now, to start off this show, I'm really excited to announce that we have a new sponsor that I want to tell you all about and um, how I found about about this product that I'm going to mention in a second. I was speaking with Anne LaRue, who I've had on this podcast quite a few times, and she was telling me the first time that she attempted the Twister obstacle, she unfortunately failed it, and then her coach introduced her to this training tool to help with grip started doing it. She said that was really the only change she made. Next time she saw the twister, she got through. So what is this magical tool to help you dominate the twister? Well, it is, as you could guess, a a grip training tool. It is the Handmaster Plus, and this is a really, really cool training tool. And at first glance, it just looks like a a grip ball, um, which that's part of it. So it is a a ball that you can squeeze, but it also has these uh, bands that you're gonna link your fingers through. So a lot of times when we're training for grip, we focus so much on the squeezing and making that fist and crushing a bar and and really working on that portion of our grip. And that's a great way to develop an unbalanced joint. So we don't often think about the joints of our hands, but we have lots of them in there. It's just like anything. You don't want to train a ton of push-ups and never do a back exercise, right? We want balance. That's going to create a stronger joint when you create when you create force on both sides of that joint. And that's exactly what the Handmaster Plus does. You can squeeze this ball, but you can also extend your fingers and open back up and get resistance going the other way. So there's actually nine muscles that close the hand, nine muscles that open the hand. The Handmaster Plus actually trains all of 18 of those in balance. So really cool way to help improve that grip, but to create better overall strength in your hand and grip. Lots of cool benefits of it. Um, but to uh, to learn more about it and check it out, I'll put a link in the show notes, but you can go right to handmasterplus.com. Uh, check it out. They have three different levels of resistance. Um, super cool, affordable tool. Definitely something you can consider if some of those grip obstacles give you a challenge. All right. Up next, I wanted to also talk about a a video that I recently posted that you may or may not have seen on rotator cuff training. And absolutely 100%, every one of you out there should be doing something to train your rotator cuff. If you're not, then you should not be doing anything to train your shoulder. You shouldn't be doing push-ups. You shouldn't be doing pull-ups. Because what you're doing is creating these big strong muscles surrounding a joint while the stability of that joint is super weak. And now you're going to do something and it'll probably be really minor and you tear your rotator cuff. Or or maybe you're trying to lift big, lift heavy, rep out on pull-ups, something like that, and you 
tear your rotator cuff because you have been ignoring it and it can't handle this huge load that you're putting on it. Now the rotator cuff, it's not a strength and a strength muscle. We're not trying to build as much strength as possible there. It's stability. Now we see a lot of the exercises like rotator cuff exercises using a band and um, going through internal and external rotation. Most likely you've done these before or seen them, which is a great place to start just to, to get some minimal strength in that joint. But like I mentioned, strength's not really the key. We want stability and movement in there as well. So what I did in this video, I know you're busy. I know you have a lot of time. If you can spend 10, 15 minutes working on direct rotator cuff exercises in your workouts, awesome. You should definitely do that. You're going to see a ton of benefit up from that. But I also know you need to get as much done in as little time as possible. So I created a video showing you three ways that you can sneak rotator cuff training into your workouts. And the best part is it's probably exercises you're already doing like planks, like rows and presses and lunges and squats. Now we're just going to add little twists to it to incorporate stability for the rotator cuff. And I know you guys are gonna love these exercises. They're gonna go such a long way to help keep that shoulder safe so now you can press more efficiently and pull and, and do all the things that you wanna do and get through those obstacles a little bit cleaner and of course, a little bit safer. So again, check out the video listed in the show notes. All right, well, let's just jump right into this episode. Um, I have some great stuff, as always, for you. Uh, up first, we are going to do a Spartan Race recap. And this race is actually from last year. It was a while ago, but it was a very unique race. And I wanted to get somebody on here to talk about it. And I finally got the chance. So I have on Cameron Smith, who went to the Iceland uh, Ultra last year. So they had the Agogi. Um, he's going to talk about the Agogi. He's going to talk about the Ultra and the Sprint. And a really cool event, sounded pretty gnarly talking to him. I didn't get the opportunity to go, but um, if you are thinking about doing this course, I would absolutely listen to this episode because um, there's some great tips he gives you to, to help you prep because it's, uh, it's going to be a challenge. It's not just the course that's hard, but obviously the elements are, are a big issue in this one and probably the biggest issue. So uh, check that out to listen to all the tips that he can give in case you want to try that out for, for next year, this year, or, or years to come. In our research review, we are going to look at some research that looks at the aging runner. I know you don't want to admit that you're getting older, but a lot of research out there shows that there are changes in our body that we typically see a decrease in pace, in running pace, as you get older. Now, if you're training for an OCR, uh, that, that race part, that run, is a big portion of it, and we want to maximize that as much as possible. So are you doomed to just getting slower as you get older? And there are some biomechanical changes and physiological, physiological changes that will absolutely slow you down when you get older. Um, but we're going to look at, is, is that it, or is there something that you might be able to do about it to help um, slow down that reduction in pace? And then finally, in our coach's corner, I have on SGX coach Allison Frumpker, who is going to talk about a, a, something we don't really or we haven't discussed on this, this uh, show, but I think was really important, and that is diversity and diversity in OCR racing, where <clears throat> getting more, more females involved and, and other cultures involved. Uh, it's something like Spartan racing has become incredibly popular and it's moving all over the world, but... Uh, Allison actually has some statistics that I found were really interesting, especially looking at males versus females. And um, she's going to talk a little bit about this diversity and, and what we can do to improve it and get more, 
more people doing this uh, amazing race that has changed so many lives out there. And actually, uh, Spartan just published a uh, an article on a similar topic on on uh, gender equity and and increasing female participation in. Uh, Spartan racing in, in particular. So I'll put a link to that article as well in in uh, this episode's show notes. All right, well, let's get into this week's show. All right, what's up, everybody? For our race recap this week, I have on Cameron Smith with, um, well, actually, you do a lot of things, but you are yes, hosting the... Um, Preparation OCR podcast through OCRM right now. Correct. So um, we've met a couple times. It's kind of nice to do this in person. Usually this is over the phone. Yeah. Uh, but you were nice enough to stop by the studio. We are outside right now, so I'll just give that warning. And, of course, they picked today to do some construction. Hopefully you guys don't hear it, but if you do, my apologies. I'll do my best to edit that stuff out. Um, but anyway, um, when we first met, you were wearing the shirt you're wearing right now. And I'm glad you're wearing it again the uh, Ultra Spartan Iceland race from last year. So I thought, what a cool race to get a recap on. Haven't done it. Obviously, very unique location and race in general. So I wanted to get you on here and just talk a little bit about that weekend. But before we get into it, just um, talk a little bit more about yourself, just how you got involved in OCR and kind of at what level you're you're competing right now. Uh, thank you, Mike. Um, yeah, I uh, got involved with OCR very randomly last year. I had some friends that had signed up as a team for a Spartan race here in uh, SoCal at the Lake Elsinore. And they are like, hey, do you want to be on our team? And I was like, uh, what does that mean? I, <laughs> and so I was under the impression that it was kind of like a team American Ninja Warrior style, just with more running. And uh, they all, of course, signed up reasonably early. I signed up late, so they all got into the morning heat. I got in the afternoon. So they all started before I did, and I caught them all halfway through the race and started <laughs> half an hour after them, and I was like, all right, this is interesting. Yeah. Um, about halfway through the year last year, decided to really focus on it more, and I'm uh, training at that elite level right now, trying nice. to... We're probably right on the the verge of making it. Awesome, awesome. Well, and uh, for a while you were point the points leader, right? Yeah, it, it, sometimes you gotta play it smart. Uh, <laughs> so I was the first person to finish five races this there you year. Go. So hey, it counts. Yeah. You take a picture of that, you frame it, and nobody can take that away. But so obviously you are you're an elite racer. You're you're uh, competing hard and. This Iceland race just sounded really interesting. I'm sure some of you maybe out uh, there listening to this were able to make it, but I have a feeling a lot of people weren't. Just financially, it's a big investment to, to travel out there and take the time off. So what, first, what kind of inspired you to go out there and do this race? Uh, so I like to approach things from a business uh, kind of mindset. Uh, I feel like a lot of the racers at the top level in our sport aren't maximizing the way they could mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily just their brands but the potential to help grow the sport as a whole and I was like well what better way for my own personal self to make kind of a crazy monetizable in the, or marketing story potentially uh, than in my first year racing to go do a couple crazy trips yeah. so I was actually in Sparta for the trifecta weekend oh nice and then nice. I went to Iceland for the ultra initially and then was convinced to start the agogi as well 
Wow, wow. So we'll have to have you back on to talk about uh, the Sparta race. Yeah. I know they're doing it again this year. Um, looks awesome. I, I would love to be able to make it. I just don't know if I can I, pull it I, off right now, but that is so cool. We'll say that was by far the funnest race atmosphere I have ever been to. Awesome, awesome. Well, let's for sure um, set this up again and talk about that one. But so let's let's talk about the uh, Iceland race. So first, just summarize what was going on that weekend. All the different because there was a couple races there. So what what was going on? So Spartan race had. The Agogi start, and I believe, let's see, started at midnight on Thursday. It ended up being 60 hours, but okay. 24-hour race was included in that. So you had 36 hours of whatever they wanted to put you through before, okay. and then finish up that with a 24-hour race where you have to finish 30 miles. I did not finish that. I ended up 15 hours in mm -hmm. before realizing that, you know, being from Southern California, I didn't get all the right equipment for this. Mm -hmm. uh, my mouth cover started freezing over a little bit. Yeah. And uh, ended up deciding, you know what, my long-term health here, <laughs> let's drop out of this and I'll make sure I finish the Ultra. Gotcha. So dropped out 15 hours in, had a wonderful adventure getting back mm -hmm. because they they you got dropped and they're like all right you know what we'll give you a ride back to this point and then from there you got to get back to the city wow which is like a two-hour taxi drive oh jeez. uh so we had a wonderful german couple that helped us with that thankfully <laughs> but uh the, uh getting back i mean starving we don't have all our stuff because they'd taken all of our race stuff mm -hmm and put it on a bus and dropped it off at the venue. So we didn't have any of that. So I was like, all right, well, mm -hmm. wasn't planning on being done early. Um, ended up staying with a buddy. He was about, I think it was a mile away from where I needed to get picked up. Mm -hmm. Woke up bright and early to make the shuttle. Realized I wasn't as early as I thought. <laughs> I ran a mile to the start or to the pickup spot mm -hmm. before the race. I'm already tired from... This hours. is for the ultra. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they had different meeting points around the city. Mm -hmm. um, shuttles would pick you up, take you out. I think it was about an hour and a half, maybe, yeah, about an hour and a half, hour, mm -hmm. hour and a half away from Reykjavik, the main city there. Yeah. And they dropped you off at, I think most people like to call it, uh, wasn't the golf ball. Uh, it was kind of one of those domes of sorts where it wasn't very thick, but uh the name will come at some point yeah it's, it's just a white dome yeah where that was the main spot and i guess it's a stadium of sorts uh it's definitely not like a u.s stadium mm -hmm. but i realized international travel their stadiums sometimes are a little smaller yeah but we get dropped off there i finally go get my stuff for the race have all the food and stuff that i'd tried to prep and i had signed up to run elite for this mm -hmm. stupidly <laughs> but uh one difference between elite was we got assigned spots where we could drop our stuff whereas open you kind of had to find your own spot oh that's good um the race itself started at noon and for those who aren't aware in the middle of winter in iceland there's only four hours of sunlight mm -hmm. so we started with sun um that first lap, they had us do this loop through the little city there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the name of it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they 
no obstacles. You just nice little loop through the city, ran back up past the uh, the dome, and started the course. And I think the first lap we didn't have to do the monkey bars, and we didn't have to do the twister if we made it by one o'clock. Okay. So anyone that went too slow ended up having to do those on their first lap. Interesting. Um, started out with the monkey bars. I believe was the first lap obstacle on that first lap. Every other subsequent lap was a, a tire drag. And Iceland threw everything at us. Yeah. I mean, it started out that first lap a little misty and started raining by the end of it. Uh, I, having had done the agogi part, didn't want to deal with the rain, so mm -hmm. I hunkered down in the, mm -hmm. the tent for a while and waited out the rain. Rain stopped finally, probably like six o'clock, seven o'clock. Yeah. It's all dark outside now, so you gotta have headlamps on. Yeah. And just crazy course. So they have a mountain that we had to climb at one point, mm -hmm. and the mountain conditions changed the whole day. Yeah. Um, I guess at some point, and I don't know if it was true or not, somebody had fallen off. I'd heard crack their head. Never had that truly confirmed, but yeah. they ended up up on the mountain at various points, hammering in these ropes that you could use to climb up or down uh, because it wasn't as safe. Um, but so this this ultra, how long was a lap or a loop? Um, let's see, approximately. Laps, I believe, were six point three, somewhere it's six point three or six point seven. Okay, miles. and you had um, uh, twenty four hours. Twenty four hours to, to complete go as many as far as you could. You can stop whenever you want, rest, and then when you're ready, stop whenever you want. Uh, in order to finish the twenty four hour portion of the race, because there were, you'd get credit for finishing an ultra if you did more than thirty miles. Okay, but in order to finish the twenty four hour portion of the race, you had to finish between nine a.m. and noon. Okay. Of the of Sunday, and if you finished afternoon on Sunday, you were done. So unlike World's Toughest Mudder, you couldn't go out for another lap at 11:50 or 11:55, make, yeah. make that lap and have it count. Yeah. If you weren't crossing the finish line before noon, you DQ'd. didn't finish. Wow. Um. So I mean it. That part was pretty crazy. Yeah. And yeah. there was definitely strategy behind that. Yeah. The weather got much worse near the end mm -hmm. of the race so uh, because it rained yeah yeah then it all froze overnight it was snowing right around the finish point of the mm -hmm. race so yeah, it was it was an adventure so how many laps did you officially get through i officially did four laps plus the little I think it was about a two mile loop at the okay. very beginning okay so i barely squeezed out the 30 miles yeah yeah um I was exhausted. I bet. I was. Yeah. Do you do you remember what the winner who completed the most? How many? Uh, that was the crazy part. The uh, both winners for the men and women actually, both of them, either proposed to their girlfriend, or were proposed to. Interesting. At the finish. Nice. Um, I believe the winner got about seventy miles. Wow. So, almost more than double. Mm -hmm. um, and from what I was hearing after, feet were shredded. And oh, I can only imagine. They were doing it in running shoes. I lucked out that I had uh, my waterproof boots from the Gogi yeah. that I just threw on after that first lap. Yeah. And kept my feet mostly dry. Mm -hmm. Man. Um, 
so and most of this is in the dark yeah pretty much yeah headlamps like, and how well like marked off volunteer wise like are you just out there on your own for a lot of it uh most of it yeah uh most people ended up kind of finding some friends there and yeah. sticking with people mm -hmm. uh, like my last lap i was out with a couple guys that were next to me yeah, in the yeah. elite station gotcha um, but yeah they volunteers wise they struggled as it got darker and colder to have volunteers they ended up having a lot of the staff that had come out mm -hmm. out on the course oh, i bet yeah doing the volunteer stations <laughs> so i mean it was a it's a weird race because you weren't really running i mean you were just going for as long as you could yeah yeah and so there were a lot of points where you just kind of chatting walking yeah nothing crazy going on uh, we met a few of the spartan employees and mm -hmm. i think they were in the accounting department so i was like oh this yeah. is kind of interesting <laughs> odd place to meet some accountants from spartan yeah, yeah, race but yeah that's funny so were the obstacles pretty much standard spartan obstacles or any any twists or new things out there other than the elements and the weather and the terrain uh obstacles themselves were pretty standard um elite and open had a slightly different uh burpee structure mm -hmm. so for elite we got these uh, little pieces of paper not that big um and they had six of the obstacles that were burpee obstacles uh and if you completed it they hole punched it mm -hmm. at the end of the lap however many of the six that you didn't have was how many sets of 30 burpees you had to do. At and they that had point. that right at the finish line. Gotcha. And of course, it had rained in the first lap and there were lots of puddles in there uh, and it was wet or frozen the whole mm -hmm. race. Um, that was different. So it's interesting. So if you miss three obstacles, you're doing 90 burpees at the finish line. Yeah. Or at the start of the new loop. Yep. Okay. And then at midnight, they switched it. Well, not switched it. The same obstacles, but they cut the burpees in half. Okay. So instead of 30, you'd have to do 15. Uh, and that was mentally my strategy was, all right, you know what? Let's minimize my laps before midnight, and mm -hmm. I'll finish up as many as I can after midnight. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Um, they actually had a lot of penalty loops. And I think this was kind of the real test for them to see... I'd, I'd done Sacramento and they kind of experimented with it a little bit. Yeah. But like the rope climb, they it, for those who did Hawaii, these were all the obstacles from Hawaii. So okay. they had them shipped from Hawaii over to Iceland. Nice. And the ropes in Hawaii and the ones in Iceland were nylon ropes. Mm -hmm. And for whatever, I, I could not climb these ropes to <laughs> save my life. I, I tried the first lap got up probably three feet off the ground mm -hmm. gripping as tight as i can with my hands and and i tend to be one of those people that'll muscle up more mm -hmm. with upper body than legs but i'm still pinching with my feet and i'm mm -hmm. sliding down this rope and yeah. i was like screw it, it for that one was a, a small bucket carry so i was like, all right you know what every lap i'm doing another little extra bucket carry yeah yeah um but there were a couple where it was all right go run around this building never had to do that one um they had barbed wire section which was just a penalty loop mm -hmm. which they're doing a little bit more nowadays too yeah yeah but yeah pretty standard obstacles okay cool and then um they had a sprint out there as well right they did they actually had a couple one on saturday and one on sunday did you do any of those or were you well so the thing was if you were doing the ultra you couldn't do the sprint okay so they they started the first lap of the sprint i think just after the ultra started mm -hmm. and then they had this sunday sprint start uh, early morning so yeah. people would have time to be able to finish it. I mean, it's a long sprint course. That's not, yeah. that's more closer to a super bike. Gotcha. 
Wow. Um, it, was it part of your the ultra course? It was the exact same. Oh, course, okay, yeah. okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So, um, so it was like that six miles or so then. Yep. Oh wow. So that is a long sprint. But I guess if you're gonna go all the way out there, get your money's worth and get those miles in. Yeah. Um, so would you do it again? Um, I would do a 24-hour race again. I don't know that I would do the Iceland race again. Mm-hmm. Um, for one, I mean, it's dark. You really can't see. Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of the cool parts of the race were during that first lap where you had sunshine. Yeah. And like, it, as soon as the race was over, the sun's out again. And it was weird looking around outside and being like, oh, I thought there were more trees around here. Mm-hmm. Or... You know, I don't remember this stuff happening at all, yeah, but yeah. you had such a narrow amount of space you could look at because of the headlamps. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, I mean, I loved the idea of doing the 24-hour race. I would love to go back to Iceland. Yeah, um, to sightsee and hang out. And... But it's definitely, <laughs> expense-wise, probably one of the most expensive places I've ever been. I've, I've heard that, yeah, they, well, many mean, times. Because they have to import everything. Yeah, so yeah, kind of like Hawaii. Yeah. Hamburgers and everything were like at least $25 yeah, so probably yeah. more like $40 mm-hmm. so so if you're going to do this one bring as much as you can with you <laughs> well and that's the other problem is that you it, and it, definitely if you're not doing the agogi you get away with it a little bit more but they have a limit on how much food you can bring into the country oh, interesting yeah. which was weird I mean mm-hmm. I've never heard of that anywhere yeah. else but it made sense it's like well they want to try and help their economy yeah, if you're yeah. going to travel there yeah um, there is one interesting thing and I didn't find out about it until after I'd already booked my airfare. Uh, Iceland Air, and I think they're still doing it at this point. If you fly to Europe, have a trip over there, mm-hmm. on your way back, you can have a layover of several days long, I think up to seven days, mm-hmm. where you can stay in Iceland. So mm. uh, for anyone that would be interested in going, it might be an option to, hey, yeah. you know what, let's go take a trip to Europe. Yeah, drive have the way some out fun. there. And then we just have this on the way back and yeah. it, it doesn't cost any extra at least travel wise interesting that's a great great tip um so if, if somebody does think they want to do um this this race what would be some you know quick pointers that you might say you need to do this uh i'd say the biggest thing and it was something i struggled at is make sure you have multiple sets of gear okay uh i had my typical two sets of running shoes I only wore one of them on the first lap, and mm-hmm. then I pretty much scrapped the idea of wearing running shoes. That's not to say that you can't. Mm-hmm. I was too tired at that point to yeah. really be, you know what, I'm going in on racing for this. Um, if you're trying to race, definitely as light as you can with as much comfort as you need. But like gloves and stuff, have multiple sets. Uh, try and experiment with wet gloves if you can figure Mm -hmm. out what wet gloves will work on obstacles just in case Mm -hmm. Um, you definitely want multiple sets of clothes though and i don't think that they'll add in any submersion in water Mm -hmm. uh, just for liability reasons yeah but uh but if it rains and if it rains yeah you want some shell layers and be prepared that they may rip Mm-hmm. So, like, I had the sleeve on my jacket rip, mm-hmm. catching uh, one of the st- uh, stakes they had in the ground for the barbed wire. Yeah, Just yeah. randomly, and I was just like, great, now I've got this <laughs> hole in my sleeve. Um, but gear would be the biggest one, because if you have the right gear, you can you could manage. Yeah. Um, 
train on hills if you can. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of climbing. The mountain, especially the last lap, mm -hmm. I mean, we were having to crawl on all fours, yeah. uh. inching our way up the mountain. Um, it was so slick after the rain. And, yeah. Uh, so definitely, if you can train in cold with ice and whatnot, mm -hmm. that, that would be the absolute recommendation. Yeah. If not, and you're in a place like Southern California, like we're at, um, I always, when I travel, try and adopt this idea of cold proofing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if there's any science behind it or not, mm -hmm. uh, but it's training your body to be comfortable with cold. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, I just got back from Columbus, Ohio, mm -hmm. and it was 40, 30 degrees while I was there. And everyone's giving me a hard time. They're like, you're from San Diego. Why are mm -hmm. you wearing shorts and a T-shirt? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm training. So mm -hmm. I get back home last night, and I was like, oh, I don't know, 60 degrees. I was like, this is great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's such a good point where um, we obviously have to think about that if we're going to do a cold race. We can get up early and go out before the sun's up, but even then it's not getting that cold out here. But you can do things like an ice bath, like a cold shower or yeah. anything. Yeah, physiologically, I can't imagine there's any major changes when if doing a two-minute cold shower. But you are mentally preparing yourself that, hey, this isn't so bad. It sucks when you first start it, but you get used to it. And it's the same thing. You get out into the cold you're used to it a little bit more and because yeah. a lot of times what gives out for it is your your mind saying oh yeah i'm done i and can't I, do this anymore i think that was part of it with the race it was much easier mentally because i had started the agogi mm -hmm. i mean within the first couple hours of the agogi we had thrown our bags out mm -hmm. into a lake and had to go get them yeah so it's freezing cold lake we're out there grabbing mm -hmm. our bags shivering and it's like all right you know what can't get any worse than this yeah yeah so but really you want to play it smart i mean i had to drop out of the agogi because of gear um race wise i definitely could have gotten much further if i had had maybe at least one more set of gloves yeah yeah um uh, and i mean this would be the time to get it yeah so if you're planning to do this race or even have the thought of doing it look into getting the gear right now as the winter season's wrapping up mm-hmm because I was buying it all in November and December mm -hmm. when it's all full price. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So hard to find things at a discount. So yeah. this ended up being a very expensive trip. I bet, yeah. Uh, probably six, 7,000 at least. Wow. Um, gear being a couple thousand. And that, that was only one set. Yeah. So, I mean, you want to have a couple sets. Yeah. But I think that's a great point because obviously on this, this podcast, we talk a lot about the training side of it. But you run into the stuff like this and if you don't have the gear it, it doesn't matter you could run for miles but if yeah. you can't handle the cold if you can't handle the, the water whatever you're you're gonna be screwed and you might have to drop out and to to not finish that i'm sure would have been a huge bummer but at least you're able to get through the the ultra which is awesome yeah um it, probably the biggest resource you guys could use is the the facebook ultra page mm -hmm. um the spartan ultra page on facebook uh the guy who won actually josh fiore I hope I didn't mispronounce that, but uh, he he focuses mostly on ultras, yeah. like the the ultra distant races for obstacle course racing, and he's on there all the time giving tips and advice, and it awesome. really caught me off guard. I mean, I was amazed by it. Yeah. But uh, such a great guy, and his a lot of his tips, I was like, man, I wish I'd heard this mm -hmm. before I went. Nice. So I'll I'll definitely put a, a link to the Facebook group uh, in case anybody's not a member, they can they can join on there. But um, uh any last words before we uh sign off here have fun with it and uh just because you think you can't do it doesn't mean that you can't do it 
I spent all of last year really setting myself up for things that I thought wouldn't be possible. Mm-hmm. Um, if you watched the OCRM interview I had, you'd know that I really don't have a ton of official running background. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have always run my whole life, so not that I don't run, but uh, ended up going from an eight-mile race to a 34-mile race in Tahoe to a 34-mile race weekend in Sparta mm-hmm. to a Nagogi, a partial Nagogi, and yeah, 30-mile race in Iceland in the middle of winter. Yeah. So, like, anyone could do this stuff. It's a lot of mental training. Absolutely, yeah. So I'll, I'll put links in our show notes again to uh, Cameron's podcast uh, so you can check that out and learn more about him. But uh, thanks so much for coming on today. Absolutely. Thank All right. you for having me. All right, in our research review, we are going to look to see if we can defy the aging process. And in this case, we're looking at a study that was done in the Journal of Medicine and Science in Sport and Exercise in 2016. And they looked at the relationship between age and running biomechanics. And what they did here was they took a group of healthy runners aged 18 to 60, and they just had them run at whatever their preferred running pace was. And then they monitored their biomechanics and and everything with that. And the, the, the main interesting finding that they, they saw was there was an inverse relationship between age and uh, pace or speed, which probably isn't too shocking. The older you got, the slower you got. And I think there's a lot of studies out there that unfortunately show that. And obviously, that's you know there are exceptions out there, but this is a common thing. As we get older, we get a little bit slower. Um, but the interesting in the study was since they looked at the biomechanics, we can actually look at the reasons why they got slower. And they actually found uh, two of the big things that seemed to cause this reduce in pace was, number one, there was a change in their stride length. It actually got shorter, but they didn't see a change in uh, stride rate, which was interesting. So the rate stayed the same. Their just stride length got, got a little bit shorter. And we're going to talk about why that's so important in, in a minute. Um, and then the other thing they saw was they found uh, significantly reduced ankle power compared to some of the other joints. They found that the ankle was kind of the biggest reason that maybe uh, that that stride length was small, uh, smaller or um, overall why the pace was, was just a little bit slower. So again, nothing shocking there, but just the study showing that the older you get, the, the slower you typically get and some potential reasons behind it. Now I want to look at, let's uh, the, the practical side of this. So what can you get out of this, this study and, and what we know from other studies that were similar to this? So one of the biggest things that we see is in the aging process, you are going to um, have changes, physiological changes and bio, biomechanical changes, obviously. So if we look at some of the physiological changes, your collagen fibers are going to not be as elastic. You're going to lose some of this. So muscle tissue, tendons, ligaments, all those things aren't going to have the ability to to stretch like they once did before. So this is going to lead to probably our biggest area of concern. As you get older, your muscles and other soft tissue aren't moving as well as they once did. So now your joints can't move. And if we look at the finding that we saw in this study, they saw that even though stride rate maintained as you got older, we saw a 
decrease in stride length. And that makes sense if the muscles that uh, control the hip, control the knee, control the ankle aren't moving properly, you can't stretch out as far to hit that, that stride length. And if you try to, and you don't have that range of motion there, guess what's gonna happen? Something's gonna pull, tear, tweak, and now you're gonna have an injury. So our number one recommendation is maintaining flexibility and mobility as you get older. Uh, specifically the ankles and the knee, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, the ankle and the hip are going to be really big areas. The knee's gonna be important as well. So just making sure, do you have adequate range of motion? Is this something that you're constantly working on? This really needs to be a daily thing the older you get because it is so much harder to maintain because of the physiological changes that are occurring. So daily routine should be some good hip mobility, some good ankle mobility. So that, that probably is going to be our number one takeaway is because of those changes, we need to work on flexibility. We also see other changes like a loss of strength. We see muscle mass decrease. We see uh, a lower response to exercise. So you just don't get the same responses when you were, you were younger. Uh, we see loss of bone health and bone density and loss of proprioception and just our, our ability to coordinate movement. So all of these, these different things are going to lead to decreased power, um, decreased uh, acceleration, deceleration. So that's obviously going to, to change our, our stride and our, our pacing as well. So making sure on top of the flexibility, we are incorporating proper strength and we're focusing on closed chain exercises, which are more functional movement like squats, lunges, step ups, things like that versus leg extensions, hamstring curls, uh, things there. So we want that balance. We want, we want to strengthen the quads. We want to strengthen the hamstrings. We want to strengthen the hip muscles all working together. And, um, one thing we really should, our, our number two, or I guess our number three, so one, improve flexibility, two, improve strength. Number three, we also want to improve the ability to absorb force because as we get older, we're more likely to get injured. So doing deceleration drills where you're working on slowing yourself down. So a quick acceleration, but then a quick deceleration so you can handle the speed. It's like driving a car. You don't want a super powerful engine if you, can't, uh, if, if you have brakes that don't work. So this is a great place for eccentrically based drills where you're working on the, the lengthening of the muscle under control. So something like uh, standing up on a box or a step and then hopping off and landing on one leg and controlling that landing, that's, that's a great way to improve this, this eccentric strength to help absorb force properly so we're less likely to hurt ourselves because running is an impact activity. So uh, the, the stronger you can get the, the joints and the muscles surrounding that those joints, the, the better off you're going to be. So those are my main takeaways here. So number one, improve flexibility, work on the hips, especially hip extension. That's what is, you know, normally when you try and if, if we're going to work on a, a larger stride length, many people think about reaching forward and they just don't have that movement there. And we, we need the ability for the foot to go behind you more fluidly. So working on hip extension where your leg goes backwards. So think when you're doing like a single leg dead, deadlift and really working on standing up nice and tall and fully extending the hip as far as possible. So um, improve flexibility, improve that hip, improve the ankle, work on your strength because we, we need those legs to be strong so they can support the forces that are being placed on the body when we run because we are more likely to get hurt. So hopefully that gives you some ideas. And regardless of the age you are, you should be working on these things because if you're still young, you have a lot more opportunity to take care of yourself 
versus when you're older and and some of these things are with the damage has already been done and it's harder to come back from that so uh, wherever you are absolutely work on all of these things to help improve your running so you can get through your races uh, faster and as you get older you can still compete with with the youngsters Time for our coach's corner, and I have uh, well a return guest. I have on SGX coach Allison Frumker from Chandler, Arizona, with Phoenix Evolution OCR Training. Allison was on really one of our early episodes. I can't remember which number, but doing a race recap. So that was at least a year ago, yeah. I believe, right? It was. It was Arizona recap last year, so almost a, a year to date. I know. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we got you back on long overdue and we're going to talk about uh, a lot of cool stuff today but how you doing yeah i'm excellent i'm pumped it's uh, race season again and just ready for another great year yeah definitely so it was great we ran into each other in, in chino for the first race and um i'm gonna make you brag a little bit how did you do in that race <laughs> thank you uh i really i felt awesome the course was beautiful and um I was ready to go, so I finished um, second in my age group for the competitive wave. Awesome, so cool! Yeah. Congratulations! Thank I'm you sure so many much. Many more of those to come. Um, so first, for, that was the first race, first Spartan race of the year. Um, yep. Just what were your overall thoughts of the first race? Oh, like I said, it was I. I loved the new venue, or it was new to me. I had never been to that Chino venue, um, and I thought the course was beautiful. Um, you know, not tons of hills, but, uh, you know, enough rolling hills and the obstacles were spread out through the eight miles. So I thought they did a really awesome job of setting up the course. And it was great to see, you know, over 5,000 participants were on the course that day. Um, yeah. so great start to the season. Great energy. Awesome. what do you think of the, uh, the gunshots in the background? Um, you know, <laughs> always, <laughs> slightly distracting but you know you're in your zone and you you know that they're going to keep you safe so you just keep moving i know it was just a little weird you, you're driving by all the shooting ranges and then you're out in the course and there's one part I, I forget where it was where you just felt like you were running closer and closer to that sound and it's like i really yeah. hope you turn soon because i don't know yeah. where they're shooting <laughs> but that's fine i agree yeah so so you're off to a great start um just real quick well what have you been doing to kind of prepare for, for this first race of the season? Um, really my, my training always includes three parts and you know, it's, it's no different than what, how we, you know, train everyone at our facility. Um, and of course I have a coach who helps guide me there, but, um, Lachey Marks is a firm believer in, um, keeping us race day ready. So we do a lot of sports specific training, meaning that we do OCR specific training every single week. Um, and that's complementary to strength training and running. So it's always a combination of those three parts for us and just keeping all of our skills fine tuned. Um, you know, I know that not everybody has access to a facility, but I feel like it really makes a big difference for us when we go out there on race day to have touched you know, her coice and to have carried buckets and to thrown a spear and do all those things, you know, it, your muscle memory kicks in. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like that combination has really made 
um, has been successful for me and for a lot of our, our team. So awesome. I, I love the fact that you said you have a coach and um, of course it just shows you right that it's not always what you know, because a lot of people know what to do, or at least have a, an idea of what to do. But it's hard to critique yourself one because you just yeah. you, you don't see it from that outside perspective. And, uh, you know, it, even though you know what you know, it's, it's hard to follow through sometimes and just do yeah. what you're supposed to do and not just what you like to do. I agree. It's hard to push yourself out of your own comfort zone. And um, that's what he's there for is he definitely he watches closely and can pick up on our cues and, and when he can push and push harder. So mm -hmm. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, your future races and, and what you can you can do out there. Um, but we were talking before this and you you have some interesting things that you you want to talk about on, on this show. So um, you you're talking about diversity and growing the sport. And yeah. I, I, this isn't something that we've talked about on this show, but I think it's a really important topic that we make people aware of and you know just talking a little bit on about some numbers with you it's it's interesting because most people probably aren't thinking about about diversity in the sport they just think hey i'm going to do this thing or maybe i'll talk somebody into doing it but um where do you so i'll, I'll kind of leave this up to you but like okay. where do you see the sport going or, or where do you want to see it grow i guess um well you know i, I want it to have a long long life uh, you know, there's been lots of chatter around lately about will we, will it go Olympic or will it not? Um, but irreverent of that, or regardless of that, you know, I I personally feel like this sport more than any other has gotten people up off the couch, has pulled them out of a sedentary lifestyle, and got them active. And I would love to see the sport grow and be inclusive of everyone. Um, getting more kids involved. I love that all the major race companies have kids events now because for adults and kids alike, it doesn't feel like exercise. It feels like a fun adventure. Everybody feels so awesome when they cross that finish line. Um, it's a little bit different than, for example, just a, you know running a road race where it's hard to convince somebody that just running from point A to point B will be fun, especially if you haven't been doing a lot of it. But I feel like the sport... Um, has a different angle that people feel so awesome and feel like they really literally and figuratively conquered these obstacles and had fun in between point A and point B. Mm -hmm. um, and right now I feel like um, there's some groups that aren't maybe getting as vol involved as much as others. Uh, and coming from a women's perspective, um, you know, starting in elite and now the age group um, competitive categories, uh, I would love to see more ladies out there, more women competing at a higher level. Um, I just played with some numbers, did some research, and I have a couple of little bits of research, but I looked specifically at the numbers from the Chino race, and there's this uh, inverse relationship between um, the level of competitiveness and the amount of women who participate, and I would love to see that turn around. And what I mean by the inverse relationship is that um, as the level of perceived competition goes up, the percentage of women participating goes down. So typically in fun runs or open waves, uh, females are the majority, typically over 50%, somewhere between 50 and 70%. And then when we get into, for example, the new age group and elite categories, that goes down to, um, you know, in the 30s or 20% of the 
of the groups being made up of women. So um, definitely would like to see some some more ladies um, challenging themselves um, in coming out there. What are your you know, thoughts on, on why that might be? You know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Um, I, I haven't formulated a, a theory there. Um, I, I think that maybe a mindset that they're, they're not going to be able to complete obstacles or that there might be failure. Um, and I really want to get the message out there that it's really a supportive group of women, um, who just want to, we want to push our own limits and support the other women coming along with us. Um, we all have good days and bad days, not being afraid to look silly, um, and just give it your best shot. But, um, you know, I, I would love to see some more data on this topic myself yeah. as I've just begun to delve into it. But, um, you know, I'm the kind of person who I, I don't care if it's more quote unquote competition for me. I want everyone to have a good time and come out and just push themselves and have a good time. Yeah. Well, and I, I think you're, this is a sport. It's really interesting. So if you look at the results for the elite overall, um, the, the first place finisher for the female and I'm, I, I'm blanking on her name. I can't. Um, Freya. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, she, I can't remember what place she was overall, but she was top, oh, over top 10. I can't remember her exact place. I should look it up I think quick. you're right. Um, yeah. I think and you're right. she wasn't behind the top male, or that far behind the top male. And it's something, you see that pretty common in, in all of these races where there's not that big of a difference between the top male finishers and the top female finishers. And um, I don't think there's many sports that necessarily will see that. Um so that's something that's really unique to this sport where it, it's probably more of a mental thing, it, like you're saying, where maybe some women just don't feel like they can compete, but we're seeing the ones that are doing it right now are just kicking butt and are, are just doing amazing. So it's, it's something to hopefully that um, these top female finishers are inspiring others to say, hey, you know, this person's doing it. I should be able to do it too. Yeah, Absolutely. She's, yeah, she's amazing. And you're right. Well, she's about, uh, I think she came in 15th overall. Okay. So, yep. Still pretty, yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She's an amazing woman. And, um, I agree, uh, especially depending on the race, you know, um, we saw some really interesting results in Breckenridge, um, Colorado this, this past fall too, with a lot of those women who just, um, who are used to running those hills and running out in elevation. And they were so amazing. They were an inspiration to me and it makes me want to, you know, keep pushing myself, push my game, push my limits. Um, so I hope that more women would be encouraged by seeing that and, um, kind of test, test their skills in a more competitive way. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think are some, some ways we can, or, or, or ways that people can, we can improve this, I guess, that we can get more, more diversity in the sport and, and more people trying this out. Yeah. I think for a lot of folks, um, the team aspect is really big. Um, you know, they want to go in kind of with a little bit of security blanket, but I think that that could possibly be a way to bring more people along. I know that I train with other competitive women and I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, we're constantly 
battling in a good way. Um, you know, we have um, women who are hope we're hoping this weekend will do really, really well in Arizona. And um, it's if you can create that environment where um, it's safe um, in that team environment, but yet everybody's pushing and encouraging one another. I think, you know, women's groups in the sport are are pretty awesome. Um, but a lot of, we see a lot of women as part of some of the big teams out there, um, you know, Weeple Army and and, um, and some of the other big groups that come to races. But I think that is a key. Um, it's like having that coach, you know, you have their people there to push you, but they're also there to support you. So um, I would like to see and encourage more of that. Um, and I, you know, at, at Phoenix Evolution, we try to do that as much as possible and encourage people along the way. And um, stump out of their comfort zone, move up from that, from the open wave potentially, and maybe start with a sprint and just give it your best shot. But I, I do think that team aspect is really, really big. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just like you said, getting out of your comfort zone, because I think that that is a big step up for some people to go open to competitive or age group or elite or whatever it might be. Uh, and I've, I've spoken with quite a few clients where they've done open and they're not sure if they're ready for, for the next one, whether it's moving right. from to age group or age group to, to elite. And my answer is always the same, you know, whether I think you're going to win it or, or not, you know, it's irrelevant. It's, you're just going to go for the experience and you really just have to go to that first one to see there's yeah. going to be, even in the elite heat, there's, there's a range of competitors in there and you're going to have your studs, Absolutely. you know, your freaks of nature that will just go out there and crush it. And maybe you're one of them. You won't know until you get out there and compete with them. But that's, yeah. you know, the point is just to get out there, do it and see. And if you, and I, we've talked about this on the, on the show before, but if you came in dead last, is it really that big of a deal? Like think of how many people didn't do elite, yeah. right? And time, forget time. It's just, they didn't have the courage to do it. And you did. And that's a huge first step. And now you learned, well, why did you not do as much as you wanted to do? Maybe you, you burpeed out on a lot and now it's okay. I need to work on this or whatever yeah. it might be. Absolutely. Races definitely give you that feedback yeah. <laughs> on your performance and yeah. um, you know where to go after that. And, and understanding that not every race day is a great race day. And I hope, I, you know, I, I think everyone's had that one or two or maybe more races where they're like, oh boy, that was just terrible and not to be discouraged by, you know, your first time out or any given race. Mm -hmm. uh, there's going to be good days and, and not so good days. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've, I've been there for sure. I remember Big Bear last year. I was uh, at the, you know, in the starting corral and we were like two minutes to go before we started. And all of a sudden I was starving. And I oh. just realized my morning plan was terrible and yep. it wasn't going to be a good race. You know, I tried, I bonked out, you know, I, I had to dig into my bag way earlier than I wanted to. And it, it happens. And I, I, my performance yep. is nowhere near what I wanted it to, to be. And, but whatever, it's not the end of the world. The, yeah. the thing with all of these races, there's another one, probably <laughs> a couple weeks away and I have exactly. another chance, although I don't really want to get back up on the mountain in Big Bear and <laughs> do that beast again, oh. but I'm, I'm sure I'll be there in, in May. Yeah. Once you catch the bug though, uh, I, I did Fort Carson two years ago when we had that terrible, cold, wet weather and it was my first super ever. And that Fort Carson super is no joke. It's 10 and a quarter miles. And I, that's to date probably the, still the worst race of my career. Um, uh, and I said, Hey, all right, well, 
I know I wasn't prepared for this cold and now I know what to do next time and I know where to, to make adjustments. So you live to see another race day. Yeah. And then the next time it might be like 70 degrees and super hot and you're preparing <laughs> for the cold. You know, that's the beauty of the sport is to be ready for everything. And sometimes it's gorgeous out and there's no breeze and everything looks great. And then all of a sudden there's a hailstorm and you got to yes. jump in that water anyway. And that's just how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So uh, let's let's finish up here with just what do you think are some good things that people can take away right now? Most of the people listening are probably already involved in racing and they <laughs> they they love it. And that's why they're listening to this to get better. But, you know, what do you think that the average person listening to this show can do to just help improve this diversity, help get more people involved um, yeah. from kids to women to to whatever uh, group we're talking about here? Yeah, I think it's all about building that community. Like I said, team and community is a big deal. Um, that's how a lot of people get involved. Let's, a lot of people come into our facility and say, I don't really know what I'm doing, but my buddy signed me up, and so I'm <laughs> doing it now. But just to, I mean, if you if you think somebody would enjoy it or you think, um, you know, again, it might pull them off that couch, um, just encourage people around you to build that community and to join your, your own team. Um, you know, see if you have a, a training facility in your area that has a team going. Cause I, I think that social aspect is also a big, a big deal. Like I just mentioned a few minutes ago is having people to push you and encourage you, um, along the way. Um, I think that's a big deal. Um, it's changed. I know we see stories all the time, especially if you're in any of these Spartan groups, um, that it's changed people's lives in so many ways, whether it being going from inactive, um, to having an, a healthy, active lifestyle, losing weight, getting out of bad relationships. There's such a variety, but I guess I would just say, pull people in. It's so it's, uh, you know, obviously we love it and we think it's fun. Um, but just getting people to try and feeling that environment, I think it's once people feel that it's really contagious um, and it feels like an adventure rather than work or a workout. Um, and you know, you build that community around you, um, you know, reaching out to all different areas. Um, there's a lot of events around, even if it's not one of the, the, the big races, you know, there's a lot of local obstacle and mud runs around the country and just get somebody to come out and try, um, community and, and team is what it's all about. Yeah. I, you know what? I think I like your first suggestion. Everybody should just find somebody, sign them up for them so they don't know about yeah. it. <laughs> Show them their registration and say, you're coming with me to my next workout. And whether it's just as buddies or you're going to a, some type of group and just make them, make them do it that way. That might be a good way to literally rip people off the couch or stop being your friend. One, one of the two. Will happen. <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but I, I think, you know, and, and obviously we're both coaches and we love helping people. And it is amazing the communities that you you become a part of when you work with a coach and a group, whether it's a group of friends just doing doing a run together, something like that, or finding a professional. Um, obviously, you can go on the Spartan site and Spartan is good at emailing you to death about, you know, working out for your next race and finding a coach near you. And, and the great thing is that the SGX program is growing so much that there are coaches everywhere. And that's one of the reasons I love this podcast is we, I get to talk to a whole bunch of really awesome coaches and get different perspectives. And it's not like many, 
many professions where you know a lot of people will want to like hide things from each other where we we share everything and in our facebook yeah. group we're, we're sharing everything to help each other get better so we can ultimately help more people get them moving get them racing whether it's going from the couch to the open open to the age or whatever and moving on up that chain but um yeah, yeah i think that community is going to be a great a great aspect of it yeah absolutely well awesome well oh, i'm sorry go ahead Oh no! I said I, I love this community. All right, uh, <laughs> me too. It's it's and it's growing, which is great. So, uh, well, thank you so much for for coming on today. If if anyone wants to reach out and get a hold of you, have ask questions yeah. or you know learn more ways to to improve diversity in the sport and help it grow even better, uh, yeah. where can they get a hold of you? Yeah, there's a couple different ways. I'm uh, my email address directly is Allison A L L I S O N at phxevolution.com and we're again we're in Chandler Arizona and our website is www.phxevolution.com awesome so and I'll put it in the show notes for this episode where people can check it out and if anybody is local to to Phoenix or Chandler they can then come by and, and check out a workout with you guys absolutely thank you so much Mike. all right anytime well, that will do it for episode 48 of the OCR Underground Show. As always, I hope you found this useful and got a lot of great tips to use in your training right away. Wanted to thank all of our guests for coming on the show and helping me put all this together and, and providing me with some great info. Uh, don't forget the show notes are at www.ocrunderground.com slash episode 48. Check out any Thing that we talked about in the show there and also don't forget to sub subscribe however you're listening to the show in itunes or wherever it may be uh, subscribe so you get all of the latest episodes out there and if you've missed any of the older ones please come back and, and check those out um, don't forget our newest sponsor handmaster plus check out their website handmasterplus.com for a great training tool to add to your routine and if you need help with your training program don't forget to check out our new fuel and fire program to get 90 days worth of workouts and nutrition guidance plus weekly coaching from myself and registered dietitian Anne LaRue. You can uh, check out the show notes where you can learn more about that program as well um, or you can just visit ocrunderground.com slash fuel dash fire dash elite. Uh, well that's it. We will see you next time with another awesome show but for now just keep training smarter.